On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Today on the Indo Daily, downfall, Sean Quinn creating caverns for Sigh and the wrath of the fairies. Sean Quinn's life, it's the ultimate rags to riches story. The kid from Cavan done good and then even better. A millionaire by 30, then a billionaire with a sprawling empire across cement, hotels and insurance. Until it all crumbled away when he gambled his fortune and lost in the economic collapse of 2008. We added 200 jobs on average per year for 35 years. We doubled our profits every four years until we got involved in the annual fiasco. But now a new book sheds even more light on his life, including how he put his home border county on the tourism map, allowing nothing to get in his way, even a 4,000-year-old megalithic burial tomb, which he excavated and moved. An act that could only bring bad luck? Well, that's according to some locals. It did cause some concern locally and there are still people absolutely believe on the border that Sean Quinn's downfall was because that he moved that ferry port. I'm Siobhan McGuire and joining me today is Trevor Burney, an Emmy-nominated film producer and journalist and author of Quinn. You know, Sean and I have talked about the book and in fact, you know, Sean has decided... Uh, to write his own book and he has 80,000 words uh, written and he has a publisher and I think he hopes the book to come out next year. From the vantage point of Schlieff Russell above the towns of Derry Lynn and Ballyconnell, three business ventures dominate the landscape below. This vast empire stretching over 50 acres is owned by one man. Trevor, your new book is about a man who's very familiar to so many of us here in Ireland, the billionaire who went bankrupt, Sean Quinn. But can you remind us a little bit of his rise and fall, please? Well, Sean Quinn was born, uh, like myself, in Fermanagh. And actually, Christmas and coming up to Christmas was a very important time in his life because in December 1967, his father died. And uh, Sean had left school uh, as an 11-year-old. He was then... 20 when his father died and he inherited the 26 acres of land that wasn't very good land that uh, the father had farmed or he and his father had farmed his brother peter who obviously went on to become the president of the gaa had left to go to university his sisters were off to go to university to be teachers 
and uh, Sean was left at home with the mum and he began to farm uh, the land. But very quickly he realised that he says himself he wasn't a great farmer and uh, he felt farming was just too slow for him. So he looked around and realised that there were other farmers in the area who had started to quarry their land and that the, under the soil, that part of the world was very rich in shale. John Quinn started to quarry himself, started off very small with a tractor and a, and a, and a, a trailer. And then very quickly he bought his first glory. And from there, uh, really had been established in that area from 1973. And from then on, Every decade, he just grew and grew and grew to become one of uh, the world's 174th richest man in 2007, valued at a personal fortune of over 4 billion euros. The Quinn Group has plenty of money. We don't need money. We, we have, uh, we're cash rich. We have money in the bank. And then again, everyone knows then the downfall story, and that is that he... He bet on CFDs, contracts for difference, uh, and built up a 28% share in Anglo-Irish Bank. And of course, when the world economic crisis came in uh, 2008, Sean Quinn became the world's biggest single loser, individual loser, and ended up losing all his companies. He owed the Irish tax player uh, $2.4 billion and, and, and owed a, a series of Bankers or bondholders in America, another 1.2 billion. So the total, when you add it all up and everything else there, he almost uh, owed everyone about 4 billion, uh, ended up bankrupt, ended up in prison, and now ended up, uh, he's still in the home that he built with his wife Patricia in 2004. His family have all married and all left, and uh, Sean and Patricia in this 15,000 square feet house that belongs to the children on the banks of a lock, just right on the border, south of the border, uh, close to Ballyconnell. The rise and fall story, in short, uh, of a man who is still revered in that area, who's still seen as the, you know, the one-man industrial development board that built factories and plants and plastics factories and glass factories, cement factories, rooftop factories, packaging factories, employed thousands of people. And of course, uh, one of the greatest successes uh, was his insurance company, Quinn Direct. Um, that also obviously went into administration, was eventually broken up and sold off. Now, Trevor, in addition to the book, you've directed a naughty series on Sean Quinn. You sat down and had a chat with the man himself. I began speaking to Sean Quinn back in the autumn of 2018. We we began just having uh, conversations around the kitchen table uh, about the story that Sean wanted to tell, about uh, what exactly he really felt was important for the country to know about him, for the world to know about him, what he felt was important that he needed to, uh, the points he needed to address that he felt that had been wrongly put into the public domain stories that had been told about him. And we got a very clear indication from Sean that he felt very wronged by particularly the Dublin government of the time who had taken over his companies and who um, he believed were destroying everything that he had built up there on the border. but also. He wanted to talk about his family. He wanted to talk about the loyalty he'd been shown. And and, uh, he wanted to speak his mind about what he felt that um, had happened to him. So, you know, over four years had many, many conversations in in the house with Sean and in other places. And, you know, we got a very clear indication of the story he wanted to tell. And I hope in the series we've done something in order to move the needle uh, about Sean Quinn, that there is at least 
if nothing else, more understood, particularly about what he achieved. And and that's the thing, Trevor, there's two aspects of the book that, that struck me. One is the trip to Cheltenham, which we can come back to, but also the building of Cavan's Versailles, the, the Sleeve Russell. You know, like everything else that Sean Quinn put his hand to uh, in that border region on the Cavan Fermanagh border, that the idea of building a hotel in the back of beyond, as it was seen, was just thought as the most crazy idea. Who in the right mind would want to go to Cavan for a, a wedding or for a weekend? You know, who would want to play golf in that area? Who would want to spend any time there? Um, and that was only the locals were thinking about that. They were looking at it going, <laughs> he's absolutely lost his mind as this thing started to appear out of the ground. Everyone was looking at the, just marvelling at the scale of it. But very quickly, the Sleeve Russell became one of the most popular venues for all sorts of events that have been held there. Daniel O'Donnell on a Friday night. People then realised that what, else, what, what this man had done is through, he was giving something to the community they simply didn't have. You know, there was a health centre in the back with a swimming pool, which his sister Bernie says changed her life because if she wanted to go for a swim, she had to travel for a half an hour, 45 minutes to get to Enniskillen. Now she had a swimming pool that she'd go up out every evening after school and have a swim in. And, you know, that was uh, very reflective of how the community looked at this, is that, you know, not only was he providing employment, he was also providing a location that they all could be absolutely proud of, but also somewhere for them to go on a Friday and a Saturday night. And the Steve Russell was a huge success. People called it... Uh, the, the Cavins Versailles, and some people didn't um, particularly like the architecture of it and were quite snooty about it. But, you know, for locals, it, it just changed in terms of the hospitality sector in that area. It just, A, it provided employment, but B, it provided great pride and, and was another huge success. And something, when I asked Sean Quinn, what is it that he was most proud of, of his business life? He says, it's leave Russell Hotel. And that's the, that when he opens his curtains every single morning in that bedroom, he looks out at the Sleeve Russell Hotel and beyond it, the industrial complex that he built. I mean, it really is Quinn country, isn't it? There was another piece in the book in relation to the Sleeve Russell that when his daughter was four years of age, she put the hotel into her ownership. So Sean Quinn, when he began to become very successful in the early 80s, uh, he thought, well, listen, I'm going to buy some pubs. And he bought the Cat in the Cage. cage in Drumcondra, he bought another three or four pubs in Dublin, and then he built the hotel. And he really thought, what I'm doing really here is building a, a hospitality business for my daughters because that's a reasonable business for them to run. And they don't have to think about getting their hands dirty in, in, in the quarrying business that actually created a huge amount of wealth. And when you talk about the quarry business and as that expanded, Trevor, there's a fascinating story about a fairy fort, a megalithic tomb on one of the, the quarry sites that was moved stone for stone by Sean Quinn to the Sleeve Russell. And I love this story, Trevor, because uh, I'm from rural Ireland and lived beside a fairy fort and basically people built houses around it rather than touch it. So here is, you know, a very rich man moving what is seen as a sacred site. Absolutely. You know, um, I was fortunate to spend some time with Brian Gallagher, the local historian who appears in the documentary series 
former headmaster uh, in, in, in a secondary school in, in Fermanagh. And Brian really explained the legend of fairies and, 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 and how he viewed them. But for Sean Quinn, nothing was going to get in his way. When he was building the Sleeve Russell, there was a, a fairy fort. Uh, it was moved. Uh, and it was placed at the side of the sleeve vessel, and it's still there today. And not just a fairy fort, Trevor. This is a four thousand year old tomb. It was, and it, you know, but he got permission of the relevant authorities, and you know, it wasn't that he just you know went in with a bulldozer, lifted it, and moved it. it did and it did cause some concern locally, and there are still people absolutely believe on the border that John Quinn's downfall was because that he moved that ferry fort that he dared move that ferry fort and there are people who down there who absolutely uh, appreciate the significance of it and uh, but yet are very loyal supporters of Sean Quinn and they get extremely uncomfortable when they talk about this decision to move the ferry fort but for Sean Quinn he felt that he was he was protecting it he felt that he was um, uh, moving it to a safer position uh, that uh, uh, that it was um, but yeah, it's still there and Sean Quinn still defends that decision. I mean, he's obviously not a superstitious man then, Trevor. No, I don't think he is. I think he's very, I think that he's very aware of superstitions and the importance of superstitions to people. And he's very uh, alert to all of that. But simply, you know, in that instance, Sean Quinn could rationalise in his head that this wasn't something that they, he was doing that was going to destroy the fort or was going to uh, uh, damage it, but that he was in, he, in his head, he was protecting it. So let's go back to that trip to Cheltenham that I mentioned briefly. So this is the early noughties now. And what happened? Yeah. So, you know, for Sean Quinn and, and all the uh, success he had had right through to the early noughties and, you know, all the business he had built up and, you know, he was a very, very extremely wealthy individual at that stage. Uh, in 2004, he went to Cheltenham. He, he loves horse racing. He, he, I've seen him sitting at home watching horse racing. And uh, at that stage, he'd a uh, helicopter. You know, he used that to travel to meetings around Ireland and across to, to Britain. Uh, but he went to Cheltenham and there he met Dermot Desmond. Now, Dermot Desmond had built up uh, a share in, a, in a, a radiator manufacturing company called Barlow. And uh, between him and, and, and Sean Quinn, had his eye on Barlow Radiators and uh, thought it was a great company and wanted to make a move to buy Barlow Radiators. And it it had a it was a huge business, a really significant business. And over the course of the trip to Cheltenham, uh, Sean Quinn and Dermot Desmond talked about Barlow Radiators and they couldn't come to an agreement. And they they were jousting back and forth about the value of the shares that, that Dermot Desmond held and they couldn't agree on a price and eventually the two men tossed a coin to decide the price that uh, Sean Quinn would pay and Sean Quinn went home with the news that A, the company was now the proud owner of Barlow Radiators which was valued at 88 million euros and uh, Sean had made a new decision, a big decision that he was going to buy a jet, uh, a 26 million euro Vulcan jet uh, was delivered to Sean Quinn. It was based at San Angelo Airport outside Enniskillen. And uh, that jet was used then for Sean Quinn to fly to Moscow and to India. Uh, he'd take the helicopter from the Sleeve Russell every morning. He would travel over to San Angelo where he'd get in the jet and him and his executives would fly around the world 
uh, on this jet. So 2004 was a major moment in his life. That Barlow radiator deal was a huge deal, a huge deal for a company that was already flying on steroids. But the fact that it bought this factory that uh, had bases uh, in Wales and right throughout Europe was like the executives were just in some way overwhelmed by that deal. But something changed in Sean Quinn's uh, head at that stage. You know, he was buying the house. He was buying a jet. You know, he was keeping up with the multimillionaire Joneses. For a man that really never wore wealth, never uh, really embraced the trappings of wealth, didn't have a house in the south of France, you know, didn't have a second home in Florida, didn't, you know, buy a house in D4 in Dublin. This was a man that now was making some statement purchases, was making some statements and in, in, in the audacity of buying that company, buying the jet. There was just a, a change in mindset. Now, that was exactly at the moment where, you know, the Celtic Tiger was roaring and Sean Quinn was absolutely buying into it. And then, of course, began to buy into Anglo-Irish shares. And then it all went downhill. I don't care whether it's on Google or whether it's not on Google. It doesn't really matter to me. I mean, I have got all the bullets that's been fired at me for the last 12, 14 years. So I'd be well capable of taking a few more. Trevor, I want to ask you um, in relation to your book, because you have uh, so many of us talking now in relation to various extracts we might have read, um, like in The Irish Independent. Have you heard from Sean Quinn himself? Because there's not a lot of sympathy for him at the moment, even on foot of that documentary and from the book. Uh, I last spoke to Sean. We showed Sean the uh, the RTE series, and uh, then we spoke um, after he had seen it. And you know, it was quite clear he wasn't happy with uh, sections of the story that we were telling. What wasn't he happy about, Trevor? Well, he 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 really took real great umbrage at Alan Jukes's comments, uh, particularly the comment that. Uh, he, he he had reason to believe that John Quinn may have money in Switzerland and India, and yeah. John really didn't like those comments at all, and uh, and understandably so because you know he, for Sean Quinn he's gone through or the children have gone through the IBRC court tra- case and obviously came to the settlement and any any insinuation that uh, the family have any money offshore in Switzerland, India, or anywhere else could affect that uh, that agreement that the reach with IBRC. But I also think that, you know, um, some of the people uh, around Sean Quinn would believe that, you know, Sean Quinn never thought there was going to be a rainy day. Sean Quinn never thought there was going to be a day in his life where he was going to need money. Sean Quinn always believed that uh, he, he always was going to be successful and he always was going to be wealthy. You know, he wasn't the type of individual who was putting money away and hoarding it. Uh, he just kept reinvesting, 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 buying companies, buying shares. He just thought that everything he touched would turn to gold because, and you could understand for 40 years, that's how um, uh, his life had been. So, you know, so when he saw the series and saw Alan Jukes saying those things, uh, he, he wasn't pleased at all. You know, Sean and I have talked about the book. And in fact, you know, Sean has decided uh, to write his own book and he has, 80,000 words uh, written and he's as a publisher and I think he hopes the book to come out next year. So in some ways, Sean Quinn is still determined that despite everything that is out there about him, that he still feels that uh, he has got something to say uh, that hasn't been said and we're going to be able to read 
his own account of that next year and I look forward to that and it'll be certainly somebody who'll be buying it. And my thanks there to Trevor Burney for joining me. Anquin is available now and published by Merion Press. I'm Siobhan Maguire and today's episode was produced by myself, researched by myself and Tabitha Monaghan with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from RTE, Virgin Media News, Northern Sound and Independent. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.